have on a very special guest this week. We have the former strength conditioning coach for Villanova and and for the New York Jets, Justice Gallic. Now, I I gotta say that you know I I, I know a handful, a, a decent amount of strength conditioning coaches in the NFL uh, and in college. And Justice, you're just you're a genuine guy. You're a sweetheart of a human being. You're as helpful as you can possibly be. I mean, I really, I, I can't say anything bad about you. You're, you're a really, a really, really good fucking dude. Every single time we reach out and we talk, you're, you're honest, you're forthright, and, and you just want the best for, for your guys. And it doesn't matter what it takes. Uh, you're, you're willing to do it. If it means, hey, you know, I need to get an extra set of eyes on these guys, I'll get the extra set of eyes. You have, you have no ego. It's, it's very, very rare to, to meet someone in this industry as, as genuine as you. You're, you're a really good dude. And, and we're, Brooker and I are, are very excited and honored to, to have you on the podcast. We, we mean that. Well, I, I appreciate you guys having me on. And, uh, you know, I appreciate you saying that. I know, you know, we've worked with a lot of common people over the years uh, of my time with the Jets. Um, and even back when, you know, before some guys that coached at Villanova, I know you know from uh, back in the day. Um, you know, and I, I appreciate you saying I'm genuine. That's the one thing I've always tried to be, um, you know, as honest and, and who I am. I'm not, a, I try not to be a fraud or say anything, you know, to, to make people happy. Uh, and I can say the same about you. I've always appreciated our relationship, you know, my time with the Jets, um, you know, and I've sent a ton of guys over to Mike and, uh, you know, that I, I wanted them to go to him and train with him. And we've had some, some really good conversations about players that have went back and forth and, uh, you know, in, in the off season, go over to you or in season, whatnot. Um, so I appreciate the type of guy you are. You, you are the exact same. I could say the same thing about you. What, whoever I sent to you, you know, you do what's right for them. You don't try to make it about yourself. Same type of thing. An ego. Um, you know, I, I'd always send guys to you and say, you know, when you go over there, Mike's, he's going to be different. He might not have shoes on. <laughs> he's going to have the beard. Sure. But, uh, He's going to take care of you. He's not going to be the guy that's going to try to smash you. The warm-up might take an hour, and but he's trying to get a lot of things right that I don't have time to do. And that, you know, that's just being flat-out honest and some of the things we can do. Um, and then also your, you know, your expertise is different than mine, you know. Uh, and we, you know, that's why I've come over there and visit you. And I will come again here. I got my COVID shots. So I'm, I'm working on getting my COVID shots done so I can travel more freely. But um uh, I appreciate you guys having me on. It's an awesome, uh, awesome honor to be on here. Right on, bro. So we we we've been talking now for for over twenty minutes, and and the podcast just started. Brooker, you 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 were about to ask ask him a question. Yeah, Justice. So, are you a, a local boy? Are you a Jersey, New York boy yourself? No, I'm I'm a I'm a Buffalo, New York. So I'm Western New York, I'm all the way across okay. uh, the state. Um, yeah, I'm from Western New York. I'm from a small town of East Otto, about population 1,000 people, um, no stoplights. I grew up on a, a small farmhouse in the middle of nowhere, uh, south, about an hour south of Buffalo. Um, so, yeah, I grew up there, um, and I've been in Jersey for almost 10 years, I guess we've been here. We were in Philly for another seven. Um, so I guess I'm, right now I'm kind of Jersey. Kind of, you know, in right now. Uh, play that as much as I can, but yeah, I'm Western New York. Uh, went to Brockport State. Got my shirt on tonight. Uh, small Division three school up by Rochester, New York. SUNY, it's SUNY Brockport now, but uh, yeah. And then I uh, 
just give you my full path, I guess. From, from there, after college, I went to Dickinson College, which is in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. A uh, really small school down there. A uh, lot of really smart players I worked with. Uh, myself, and uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Dr. Ken Clark. He's down uh-huh. at So me and Dr. Ken Clark were the GAs. Uh, oh, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, we were the GAs at Dickinson. So we ran a strength program. Uh, I learned a ton from him about uh, uh, speed and mechanics. His dad was a great coach. Uh, I don't know if he learned anything from me, but I've taken a ton from Kenny over the years. Do- I'm sorry, Dr. Clark, because I have to call him now. Um, <laughs> me and him were out there. We were making about $5,000 a year. We had housing. I spent two years there. Um, was fortunate enough to get another connection. It was all connections. I got a connection to Dickinson through my former head coach, Rocco Salamone, who's my coach at Brockport. And then uh, going to, to uh, Villanova, I had another connection. Um, so I went to Villanova after Dickinson for two years. I was there for about seven years. Uh, I went from a – meantime, this whole time, I was a football coach. I was a football coach slash strength conditioning. So I was coaching D-line, doing strength conditioning, but I was really a football coach, recruiting, all that. Went to Villanova, uh, restricted restricted earnings football position. I was in that for about eight months at, at Villanova. Uh, then I got promoted to another football position, another restricted, making a little bit more money. I lived in the stadium. I lived under the bleachers. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they, they've since changed it, but I lived under there. And then uh, from there, I had a chance to uh, – our the strength coach at Villanova left – and they were the head coach Andy Talley was like, "Hey, do you want to do? You want to be the strength coach?" And I'm like, "No, I'm like, I mean, I love coaching football. This is what I want to do." And uh, but I'm like, I was always in the weight room, like you know, doing all kinds of stuff. I, I'm a four. I played nose tackle. I was 290 pounds when I played. I'm wow. like, I'm a frail of myself right now at like 205 pounds. I'm, I'm, I'm went the other way on purpose, I guess. But you know, but I was always in the weight room. I, I was you know, gifted as from strength and. Um, so anyways, I did that for about uh, two months, I guess. I was recruiting in Ohio when the head coach called me, Andy Tail, and he was like, hey, do you want to do football or you want to do coaching? You got to make a decision because we got to hire something else. And right there, I decided to become a strength coach and kind of, um, you know, rode that wave. And I was at Villanova for seven years. I had, uh, you know, some of the guys that trained at DeFrangos with Mike. And, um, you know, we ended up winning a national championship in 2009. Um, some good things. We were in, a, in and out of the playoffs. Had a couple guys uh, drafted. Um, you know, some good things happened. And then I got a connection um, to uh, the Jets. And the Jets connection was uh, Terry Bradway. I coached his son, Mike, at Villanova. And then Scott Cohen, there's a lot of names, but just putting them out there. Scott Cohen, who's now with the Ravens, he was assistant GM for the Jets. He played at Dickinson College. And I had met him through my Dickinson connection, through Joe Tran, a bunch of guys, but, you know, from Rockport, to Dickinson College, which most people don't know what that is. I got all these connections out of there just to get an introduction. And I always like to say, like, it's nice to, you know, have a connection and get an opportunity, but what do you do with the opportunity, right? So I got the opportunity with the Jets to go interview for the the, the first assistant. So not the head guy, the next guy, right? And uh, I interview Rex Ryan, Mike Tannenbaum, who were all there at the time, players, David Harris, Mike DeVito, like all these players. And, uh, I don't get the job. So I don't get the, I don't get the first assistant with the Jets. I, I, uh, you know, they give me a call like a day later or something. They're like, no, you didn't get it. And, um, but they're like, Hey, we want to offer you the second assistant. I'm like, Oh, all right. So I had a couple other things, you know, it's feast or famine. Like right now, like either you have nothing or I had, I had like three different opportunities at that time. 
going on. And I'm like, I never, I never thought I'd be in the NFL. I'm going to be honest. I love college. I love, I love the college atmosphere. Um, but it was something I, you know, who knows if you're ever going to get it again. Right. So yeah. I take the Jets opportunity. Um, uh, and I'm here with uh, Paul Ricci gets the job over me. And that's that first assistant. Um, and, you know, so we're here together and, you know, after eight months, I get promoted to the, the head strength coach job. And, um, you know, and case in point here, I kept Paul on with me. Paul was a seasoned uh, veteran of the NFL. He'd been with the Ravens for a long time, the Eagles. He'd, he'd been around. He was with the Seahawks, I think, at one point. Um, but I kept Paul on. So I, I get the head strength coach job after eight months. And, um, you know, Paul helps me really get through that first year. And then after that year, he gets the head, coach, head strength coach job with this uh, Cleveland Browns. So he leaves to go with Mike Penton to the Browns. And, uh, you know, from there, I, I've, I've had a bunch of great staff members throughout my time with the Jets. But that's kind of how I got from, yeah, I know you asked where I was from, but I kind of just led that and let it go. Um, oh, fantastic. Yeah. It's crazy. And then, I mean, so then you spent nine years with the Jets or nine or ten years. Yeah. I mean, how has the job changed over the time? I mean, ten years ago must be like dinosaur times compared to nowadays with, you know, current technology and all, everything like that. Yeah, and that's everything, you know, that, that we had went through and it becomes a, you know, the NFL really has gotten to like a who's a who of, of what you have. So we had, you know, the last year we had catapults, we had force plates, we had, um, you know, all kinds of tracking systems. You got their bod pods, you can do, you know, we had trialed in body, we've done, you know, uh, different shorts that measure the muscle contractions. I, I can't think of it, but we use strive, we use, we've used push, we've used bar senseis, you name it, we were able to try it. You know, and really kind of the things that stuck, we kept force plates around. Uh, we kept the catapult system, the GPS tracking, you know. We, uh, so, you know, in 2013, which was my my really first year with the Jets as the head strength coach, I was 2012 as the assistant, uh, we, we did catapult. We ran 20, 20 units and we learned a lot of information. And after that season, nobody wanted to buy it. So we didn't have it. We didn't have catapult again until 2006. 16 or 17, we brought it back with 100 units. So then we were running everybody and playing a little bit of catch up in that position uh, because we had cut it off. But you said it, it's kind of, you know, in that 10 years, and this is nothing against anybody I've coached for, you guys know this too, is some people have a set way. So if I say, hey, coach, I might have a, I, I kind of have a, a good answer here to, to, the one thing we know, right, is that if we can manage volume on, on any athlete, especially in a, in a, in a, in season, we can really affect how their body's going to react. Right. We know that it's, I've always used the analogy, like if I max squat guys every day, someone's going to have a problem with that. If they can, every day we come in, we do a, a, a max effort lift, especially the, the same lift. It's no different than running max capacity every day. Right. So sometimes that's hard to get a, you know, get a coach to buy into that's never done it. Right. And they really have to be open to it. And it's tough, you know, and that's the strength world and it's the football world. So, you know, whether I was a bad salesman at times, we, we couldn't get it through at times. And, um, you know, some of the coaches I work for bought more into it in certain times, especially in season. Um, but that was a hard fight. Yeah. From, from the time I got there to where it's at now, and you look at what teams are doing now and how much information they're collecting, whether it's legal or not legal, you know, you can't, we're not supposed to be tracking sleep. We're not supposed to be, when they leave the building, you are not supposed to have anything on. And we, the three of us sitting here know that there's a lot of teams that don't follow those rules. Right. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, that's kind of where it becomes, you know, what, how much does an organization want to push it and how much do, are they willing to risk it? And then if it does go bad, who's getting blamed for it? And, you know, I'm not going to lie to you. We, we've asked that question before. Hey, if this goes this way, what are we, what are we saying on this? Am I going down alone or are we going down together? But there's so much information out there. No, and I know you guys talk about the aura ring on here and stuff, you know, and like, that's an awesome tool. And we trialed that with the jets too. And I loved it. Um, you know, all the different products that are out there. There's a lot of things to tell the readiness of the player. But again, <clears throat> you know, in the NFL, guys have their own mentalities at times too. And they're not, if they leave the building, they might take that ring off or they might take their, their, their watch, you know, that tells them the same thing off or, you know, so it's hard to track the guys and for them to be honest. You know, there's a lot of, especially in, you, you know, in Jersey, New York, there's a lot of things outside of here which take away from some of those recovery modalities that we're trying to use all the time. You know, and that, you know, whether it's Normatec boots or, you know, um, float tanks or, red, you know, infrared light beds, all that stuff. Um, you know, you can't burn the wick from both ends. We know that. So that's kind of where it's always come back to for me personally is, you know, we have to really educate the player before you can try to implement anything, you know? So you said you were at Brockport, then Dickinson. Those are two division three schools. Correct. You were a division three football player. I was a division three nose tackle. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so at Dickinson, you were a GA for the football team. Yes. Yeah. So when I, I left there, yeah, I was, I was a GA for at Dickinson for like a year and a half. Two seasons. It was two seasons, a year and a half. Yeah. What was your major at Brockport? My major at Brockport was physical education. Um, so I was physical education with a coaching minor, and I was doing my teacher's cert. Um, so at Dickinson, they didn't have like there was no master's program or anything like that there. Um, that was strictly an intern, five thousand dollars, housing, and a meal card. So that was clutch for us. But. Uh, <laughs> I'd, uh, Brockport, my physical education major, uh, a lot of guys were doing sports science at that time. I just, I thought I was going to be a phys ed teacher and get into that, that high, the high school realm. And it just didn't go that way. I got to, uh, I got to my senior year and it was, I was doing, um, I was going to Medina high school and coaching track and field in the spring. And I was just like, I can't work with these kids right now. And I was, you know, I was like 20 years old, 21. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to coach for a year. So I, I had to finish some school. So my, my super senior year or my second senior year, whatever you want to call it, I coached and, uh, and um, what finished my finished school while I coached. Yeah. So what was, and I'm going to go a completely different direction. What was recruiting like out of high school? So we, you guys, were you guys in the NJAC? No, uh, we were, were they, I think, yeah, right when, when I went to school for two years, we were in the NJAC. We played Rowan, Montclair. Yeah, we were. Yeah. Cause we played all down here. Yeah. So I went to William Patterson. Oh, so, yeah. So, uh, what was recruiting like for you at a high school that you're a 290 pound fucking kid? Well, here's, so, you know, go back. So in high school, I was 230 when I graduated. So in high school, <laughs> kid, 60 pounds. <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, this is why I became a strength coach because you don't, at division three, did I have a strength coach? Hell no. Nope. Oh. <laughs> you didn't have a weight room probably. <laughs> No, barely, barely, <laughs> barely. It's gotten 10 times better. My boy's up there running it now, but no. So coming out of high school, I was 230 pounds. I 
guys, I graduated with 43 people. And this is not a private school. This is a public high school. I'm driving 20 minutes to high school. I'm, I can't tell you. South of Buffalo, there is not much down there. Cattaraugus County. <laughs> you know, there's there's but, cops there. Because when I drive up to Buffalo to, to watch Hogan play, I get pulled over a fucking time and they'll ticket the hell out of me. But you're on 86 running across the bottom of the state. Like every time, state troopers all over the place. But no, I mean, there's nothing. I, my wife's from North of Philadelphia and she, she, the first time we went up there, she's like, hell are we? But, you know, no one's recruiting me. No one's recruiting our high school. I just, I was like, check tape, but I was, I was all state offensive tackle. tackle. <laughs> You know, like I had all these things, but it was class D. So, you know, it's not like big, it's not, you know, triple A. It's not like around here where I'm watching some of these high schools on TV and they got 50,000 fans. But, you know, so they, they come in, the recruiting is like, yeah, sure. You want to come to school here? And, you know, they work for you a little bit, but I was 230 pounds. And, and I, you know, it's funny because this is why I really enjoy what I do is, you know, I thought going to college, like I should be 290 pounds, like all these guys you see play on Sunday or Saturday, you know, like these dudes, but they're, I'm, I'm five, nine and a half. I'm not six foot two or six foot three. You know, I, I listed myself at six foot, but you know, I wasn't, um, <laughs> you know, uh, so, you know, you go into school and then you just start eating and you start eating and you're hanging out with all the O linemen and D linemen and, you know, you're trying to hold weight and you're, you know, no one really told me to be 290. I thought it was a good idea. And in retrospect, I probably shouldn't have been, but the minute, I'm telling you, the minute I was done playing, I, I got down to 260. I played uh, Arena 2 football, not even Arena 1, Arena 2 football uh, for a minute. And then um, and then I dropped, I went uh, went on and I went to 240 and then I was down to like 210. And then I've yo-yoed. I've been from the last 10 years, I mean, 240 to I'm like I don't know, 205 right now or something pathetic. But, you know, I'm trying to keep it <laughs> thing, you know. But it's all like everything I do is – trying different training, trying different eating, you know. But I will tell you, you know, you asked, the, 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 I mean, between Brockport and Dickinson, two different types of characters, especially at that time. Like, I mean, you know, I, the guys I coached down there were awesome, but some of the people they went to school with were, you know, some, some from different areas, you know, some very uh, wealthy families going in there and stuff. But it, it was very different. It was a very different culture for me. Yeah, Dickinson. Dickinson's a lot of rich kids, right? Yes. Yeah. A lot, a lot of lawyers go out of there. Um, um, it, they, the Redskins used to – they used to do training camp there. So they had some pretty good facilities, and the Redskins would, like, leave stuff behind because then they, they ended up going somewhere else for a minute. But, but there's, like, stories of, like, John Riggins going around that town and, you know, just having a good time and <laughs> Joe Theismann. So it's it's funny when you go there. I actually – actually, in the last month, I went out there because uh, – Joel Quatrone and Darwin Bro, who were the coaches when I was there, they're now in different positions. But I went out there to visit them just to kind of, you know, get back to a little bit of roots and everything like that. So I took a drive out there a couple weeks ago. So that's um, awesome. Yeah, it's a great area out there. I mean, that's a it's a great great little town. So Justice, what sort of training was you doing to get yourself up to two hundred and ninety pounds? What was <laughs> that's you doing? Where I was going next. What was you doing and what was you eating? Great question. So um, we were doing. Um, the old Husker Power manuals. So I don't know if you remember the books. It was like clean squat, bench, military, snatch, clean, you know, like front squat. It was it was the old Husker Power, uh, Husker Power book um, by Boyd Epley. Um, and it had these workouts in the back. We would just live by them. And then 
add like 25 different things on the back end. Cause again, you didn't have a strength coach. Your strength coach was the offensive coordinator or something who had, you know, he, that wasn't what he was doing. He was pulling the same workouts we were. Um, so we started that, um, you know, just lifting heavy all the time. Everything was heavy. Everything was terrible form. Everything was like smashing weight. And, um, you know, we, we really went along with that for a long time. Um, and we would eat um, what's known as the garbage plate. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this. It's a rod. Nah, what's that? Well, garbage plate is um, home fries, mac salad. Uh, usually get like a burger, hot dog on it. And then they put like this meat, hot sauce on it, ketchup, mustard, onion. <laughs> so we used to be able to eat like one and a half or two of them. And that's how you gain it. That was like a pregame meal. Like, but, you know, how bad, how bad is that? You know? Um, but, and I've said this before. There was a guy that I played with there. His name was Nate Harvey. He works for Elite FTS now. He was at yeah. University of Buffalo. I know uh, him and Buddy, you know, are close. I don't know if you've met Nate before, but. Mm -hmm. He so was Nate, at Buffalo. Yeah. Yeah. He was. Yeah, he was. Yeah. He. Um, so I played against him in high school. He's from the same tiny town, same tiny area I am. And Nate was the first guy to like turn me on to like West Side Barbell and Conjugate. And he would walk around with a bag of chains. And, you know, Harv's a pretty intense guy and he would always have his chains and he took it. And we're all like, what is this guy? You know, he's, we, we were all friends and everything like that. But at that time, it was so foreign of what he was doing the low box squat with the paws and, you know, his dynamic work. And um, lo and behold, he was right. And we all kind of, there's a bunch of us that, you know, were around him and learned from him. What year was that? Uh, 2000. I mean, really the first time I'd ever seen it was 1998 when I first got up there. He was a, he was a sophomore and I was a freshman. I, I'm pretty sure that's right. Um, and then 99, 2000, we started to kind of transition to more of how he was training because it made a lot more sense than what we were doing. Um, you know, we in you know from a team they would have you do certain things, but um, we all drifted off, and and you know, our head coach kind of allowed the older guys to do it because we we love training. Now we didn't always know what we were doing, but we were trying to do the best thing, and you know, hard work's better than no work. So that was our kind of our mentality back then. Um, you know, but um, you know, Harvard really opened up some you know some things for me, and and kind of made us you know, um, kind of look at training a different way. But that's you know. To get up to 290 was a was a was a was tough. I took a lot of Celtec, which was the creatine. <laughs> car. Oh yeah, that? I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> I owe my parents a lot of money for uh, supplements that they knowingly or unknowingly bought for me. Um, uh, but I used a lot of Celtec, a lot of creatine and Celtec at the time, and uh, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't the prettiest 290, but it was strong, you know. Did you ever did you ever hop on the Andro train? Because it was big back then. Yeah. yeah. Uh high school. That was high school for me. Yeah. Yeah. High school. I was on Andro 1996, I bet. And then everything got weird with the, the baseball mm -hmm. stuff and they kind of pulled it off. But I mean, Andro worked. That was good stuff. Um, yeah. You know what, what was Andro train? What was that? The Androstein. Mm -hmm. So EAS started pumping it out and um it's got to be like 96 or something. I feel like I was at least yes. 16. And um, so it was Androstein. And that was what McGuire and they kind of blame Mark McGuire and Barry Bonds for being on. They were on more than that. But, you know, they're probably – they were EAS guys. Like John Elway was on it, Shannon Sharp. Like, all you know, it was an EAS-sponsored product. Um, now, they – I don't know whatever – I don't know how it actually worked out. But, I mean, it wasn't like 
it wasn't like some other, you know, it wasn't like gas. It wasn't like some juice you can get out there. It wasn't that good, but it, it worked, you know, it, it was, uh, it was a good product, I think. And they, they had to pull it off because it was so much bad marketing and, you know, I don't, you can't even find it anywhere now. No. <clears throat> what about now? Did you ever, I mean, it was, it was legal when we were younger. It was legal when I was in high school. I graduated high school in 2005. Uh, and I never, I never took any of them, but the pro hormones, did you ever, did you ever flirt with any of those? As far as like take, taking them or having any of your teammates do that stuff? No, I mean, you know, we, Division three football doesn't do steroids, I know. right? So <laughs> I've seen a lot of stuff over my years. I mean, guys, guys took stuff when I was there. Um, I, I, I can say, honestly, I didn't. Um, my nickname was Juice because of that, because I didn't take anything. Um, <laughs> but I saw guys take stuff. And, and I mean, you know, we were young, and they didn't know what they were taking. And they were no all straight from, you know, straight from Mexico, you know, coming across. And they would get delivered at their parents' house. We'd go pick it up. And, you know, they're injecting, you know. So I saw a lot of that coming up. And that's, I mean, that's crazy. And, you know, even being in this area now, I mean, you know, just to educate yourself, you can go, you know, check out some of the different doctors in the area. And it's a very... It's a very different um, look for anti-aging stuff now than it was back then. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but I, I mean, the times when I was in college, like the big thing was like ephedrine was really big because that was, oh yeah, yeah, that was still out there. I mean, the Sudafed, I mean, the Sudafedrin stuff, um, you know, you could, because they would buy the Sudafed and, and just take that or they could just create <laughs> ephedrine, you know, there was a lot of uppers and uh, downers and different things that you could just go buy and it wasn't as crazy. And it, I mean, even, um, is it ultimate orange? Do you guys remember that? Yeah. So yep. that, that, that was had, the first that, one. Yes. That was like the first pre-workout and that had ephedrine in it. And that was like, Ooh, remember, I remember taking that before like max days in college and you're like, okay. <laughs> Not sleeping for three days. <laughs> Correct. Now you go home and you might, you know, cry yourself to sleep or something like that, but you got, you got that 600 pound squat that was you, that was up you know? <laughs> you know i used to um i used to take super pump now i i got gaspari's gaspari nutrition used to have shit taken off the shelves all the time i remember that super pump and it was nicknamed super dump because <laughs> you would just be painting your fucking toilet yes <laughs> that's most of those things right they just well your stomach just pays the price so, <laughs> what was the other one he had? He had a good. He had uh, a, size on. There was size on. There was super pump. Um, there was like there, there were pill. What was it? Was it Anavor or something like that? I don't know. There was something for a while, like Novadex. He had yeah. Novadex was one of them. That's the one. That's the one I think that worked. Yeah, but but so all those things were like pro hormones. So these. Right. Kids didn't know it. I, I remember being in high school and kids would be tearing pecs. Right. Like, what the fuck is going on? What are you taking? Like, I don't know. And I mean, looking back at it now, like these kids were taking, if, if a hormone is this big, a pro hormone is this big and like chains of amino acids are like this. So you got to just cut it down to get to the, the hormone. So kids are literally taking steroids. It's, it's the closest thing to steroids without being steroids with these pro hormones. And everyone's breaking out with acne everyone's getting bitch tits and everyone's tearing shit but no one knows why everybody's strong and it's all legal <laughs> so strong and it's all legal at right. gnc right right and that's you know it's always like staying ahead of the game right that's like i feel like the, the some of the supplement game is if you're making these super things it's like staying ahead it's kind of like a 
you know, SARMs or any of that, you know, uh, peptides type things like that, where you're, you know, I mean, guys in the league are trying to stay ahead of the curve. You're trying to stay ahead of what the NFL's tracking. It's yeah. not illegal. If it's, if they don't know what it is, it's, it's not illegal. You, they don't, they, it's too much to classify, right? There's too many words and too much verbiage to, to cover everything, but you know, and that's where, um, you know, kind of going back to supplements was, it had to be, it had to be like 2007, 2008 was like um, some of the free workouts with the amphetamines in them. The, Jack 3D. That's the one. And uh, Oh, that one. You know, yep. I mean, those things were crazy. Those were, I mean, our players were scared. And when I was at Nova, players were taking that. And I'd be like, we were in the playoffs. I'm like, you can't take that. Like, I know it's probably, the half-life's probably, you know, probably peed out in 24 hours or whatnot, but. You know, it was like one of those, I'm trying to get them to understand like what they're, because they get scared, you know, players get, mm -hmm. they don't know, they're getting scared of what, you know, because they never, we didn't get really tested at the one day, double A level either until playoffs. Uh, I think they got tested once a year, but, and then, um, you know, so they were scared, but it, you know, all this stuff had come out about what was in those, the, the Jack 3D. And, you know, I mean, again, they worked really well because, you know, I, I took them, but I didn't have to report to the NCAA. You know, so. <laughs> I had a kid come in. Um, remember, uh, Brooker, remember Hoser, little, little Jose? Yeah. Yeah. Dude. He came in and this kid was like a buck 55 taking pre-workout at like five, eight, five, nine, right. Skinny, skinny kid. And he's sitting there like scratching, like twitching. I'm like, what the fuck did you just take? He goes, I don't know. It's called Mr. Hyde. <laughs> he couldn't sit still <laughs> and he couldn't fucking sleep. But I mean, they, these things get, it's, it's outrageous, but it used to be, it used to be the wild fucking West. Now there's at least something like they have like the NSF certifications on, which by the way, I think a lot of this stuff is, is even though there's the NSF, like you could still unscrew it, dump whatever the hell you want in, put a vacuum seal label on and Hey, go for it. Right. You know what I mean? Even, even with that little uh, certification on it, it don't matter. Like they could still do whatever they want. Right. I mean, it, there's so many, you know, we dealt with this, you know, with the jets for a long time is, it's a, it's a, again, it's a fine line. Like what, what can these guys take? What can't they take? What are we, you know, they, the league doesn't want you to educate the players. They don't want you to provide anything for the players because they feel like, you know, that's an unfair advantage. Well, we have, the teams have the money. We should be providing what we think is safe for these players, like a multivitamin or fish oil and, you know, some of the, you know, the Novadex and the, the, you know, the Jack 3D, we probably shouldn't be providing that, but certain supplements for players to help benefit their health. I think we should be doing because like you said, like you, you can, how easy is it to taint a supplement? Yeah. I mean, it's mm. not, I'm making rocket science. Like something falls in there, you know, you watch Breaking Bad, like something falls in the, in the mix and you're like, okay, now this is tainted. Now there's, you know, 10 players down. We've, I've had a situation with players before where, you know, they come to me, they're like, oh my God, what did I take? What did I take? I'm like, I, you know, I don't know. What did you take? Let's look at what you took. And then, you know, you start talking deeper and you're like, you know, I mean, did you use marijuana? Did you use a synthetic marijuana? Would you, you know, all these things are also possibilities in some of the things you found. We had a player last year, he had something come up and I did some research on it. And it ended up being something that I saw um, MLB had a huge problem with. It had like 50 to 100 guys test positive for the same supplement that was like banned in like, I, I'm, I'm probably butchering this, but it was like banned in like the 70s. And then it was, coming up in these MLB tests last offseason. So it was basically they were being – somehow the testing had gotten better 
that if you had ever touched this product, it was showing up like 10 years later because now the testing could crazy. There was something, yeah, so bizarre that who knows where that came from. It's a, it's such a minuscule amount they were finding, but it didn't matter. And basically, basically that guy and all the, I think all the baseball players are basically clear because they're like, the testing has just become better. It doesn't mean you're currently taking it. And it was a, it was a product that could have been found in, you know, like, the uh, clumbuterol and the meat with some of the guys that we heard about in the NFL before, you know, from when they were in Mexico, they were eating meat and they clumbuterol, you know, and you're like, okay, sure. I guess so. You know, it must be, it must be such a hard conversation to have as part of an NFL organization because it's not health what they're doing. And they do know that certain substances are good for your health in terms of what you said before, like anti-aging and wellness. So to find this line, it must be so difficult. Yeah. And it's, you know, you're right, because some of it is be is with the higher ups, and then some of it is with the players themselves. Because you know, just being honest, like some uh, there's a lot of you know a lot of guys use marijuana in different ways or CBD or mm -hmm. some things like that, and it's you know I mean it's legal in Jersey, and the NFL still hasn't made it legal, but it's it's out there. I mean everybody knows it. It's not you know secret, and uh, you know some guys don't want to take. Um, a vitamin D pill or a, you know, a multivitamin. And, you know, you're just trying to, not that those are the saviors, but it's a simple thing that can maybe help that player or, you know, using more fish oil to help uh, prevent or, you know, heal from a concussion because of the fatty acid, you know, um, where they don't want to take that, but they only want to use that. And the one thing I do appreciate, I guess, about, you know, some of the players is, you know, they're trying to get more away from some of the opioid type of things um, where they'll deal with, you know, they'll take Advil instead of, you know, maybe before, I, I think it's before the time I was in the league too, where it was so common. Um, but even more so, a lot of guys are steering away from any type of, of, of drug usage, um, opioid stuff, you know, for, for pain, post-surgery and things like that. I mean, those are extreme cases, but, um, you know, a lot of times in a league, it's, it's hard to get IVs in players now in the NFL because they want you to, to drink. They, the, the doctors want you to drink. So that's, you know, that's another whole issue is the hydration pro process. But, you know, through the supplementation or the products we're trying to give them to help, you know, benefit hydration, right? It's the same conversation. Like, oh, I don't want to drink the Gatorade. I only want water because I'm watching my weight. No. You know, like what? No, that doesn't. They don't know. You know, they don't know what they don't know. And that's that never changes, whether it's high school, pro, you know, college. It's never changed for me. So, and, and let me, let me tell you how long I've been listening to Louis Simmons. My, my dad is an accountant or not an accountant. He was a finance guy. Um, and I mean, type a personality, think accountant personality. And he trained my brother who was a fat kid his whole life. But then my dad wanted, he wanted to get in shape. So my dad wanted to help him, but like, this was before personal trainers were big. This was in the nineties. So he started researching all this stuff. He bought powerlifting magazines, bodybuilding magazines, and he found Louis Simmons. Bro, I might've been in fourth grade listening to Louis Simmons videos and, you know, hearing the chains and, and Louis, Louis' voice, like back then with the shitty echo was absolutely brutal. But that timeline with, with Nate Harvey fits right in there. Like that's when it started. Like that's when like that whole, I don't know, the, the underground Louis Simmons club just really started. Did you did you ever have any of those uh, old videos? I had the old videos later, so you know it's kind of like like you said, like that was the prime time. And I think 
I'm pretty sure Elite like started publishing stuff in like 1998. The, the internet was becoming more popular. So unless you had some connection, I think that's how Nate initially got involved with it. Um, I had the videos after I kind of was on the back end, right? After I mm -hmm. kind of seen it, I dove more into it, wanted to learn more and try to, you know, connect with more people. I've never been out to Westside. I, that's something I should, you know, I would like to do in this time and get out there. Um, but I've been out to Elite a ton of times and, and those guys have been great to me out there. Um, but all that stuff kind of came after for me, all the books, all the education was more watching Harv do it and start to get into it, you know, and then kind of transitioning because, you, you know, um, a lot of it, from the way I learned, you know, a lot of it was, you know, Olympic movements was the, the main thing. And there's nothing wrong with Olympic movements. And, you know, um, but it, when you start to see some of the dynamic work of, you know, and I still do Olympic movements now. So I, I just think there's value in a lot of things. But the dynamic movements, you know, really resonated with me, you know, whether it was de uh, a speed deadlift or, you know, dynamic squat, speed bend, any of that stuff. You know, it was a, lo a lot different than what we were kind of taught initially from a linear, you know, program. And I like doing those movements. You know, I, I'm not, I, I still, I clean them. I've lifted my garage right now because I'm, you know, out of work right now. But I'm in my garage doing cleans and snatches. And, you know, um, my kids are standing 10 feet from me while I'm doing it. But, you know, it's, uh, yeah. you know, you're, I, I like those motions. But at the same time for me and why I really didn't do them much, at, especially at the professional level, is because I stink at them. Like, and it's not I don't work at it. I, my body isn't necessarily made to catch a clean. I really struggle in that position. And I don't, I don't believe it's for lack of work or lack of um, belief in them. But when I use the speed, you know, a speed pull, like a, 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 a dynamic effort, uh, you know, rack pull or a dynamic effort squat, box squat, like that's pretty easy to do to get a similar reaction, right, from the body. So that's what I used a lot of at the, at the NFL level because, you know, between that, med ball throws, my sprinting, our jumping, you know, any of the plyo stuff we're doing, uh, I felt like I could get a similar reaction from the body. And also, that being said, the, the west side conjugate stuff works for me really well because in season, I can't really ask a guy to do a clean, can I? Like, yeah. you know, you guys are working, you know, you got the NFL, any athlete, I don't know, basketball, football, baseball, hockey, like their body does not want to catch a clean. And if they do, what is the value of that clean? How much is it? How much are we really doing? Well, okay, it's 45%. What, that's where my accommodating resistance of a, a, a dynamic squat comes in. So that's what's worked for me. And I've always go back to like, I don't have anything against Olympic lifts, but with football players, it's a difficult motion, especially the bigger guys that probably need that weight more than a receiver. Not that they don't need that, but you know, my offensive lineman would come in their fingers are like this and their elbows are sore, their shoulder, you know, their shoulders, you've seen them, you got, you know, it's like, I couldn't ask them to do a clean the day after a game, which is, you know, a pretty decent lift day for, you know, for it was for us. Um, so that's kind of where that stuff really resonated with me. And as I watched those videos and I, you know, you see Louie in the dungeon and you see the Dave Tates and the Wendlers as young men down there, or, you know, the Mark Bell, you know, it's just kind of cool. It's a very different, um, you know, seeing that the, the underground uh, Louis Simmons. And I got to speak with him um, at Notre Dame High School uh, down here in New Jersey. I spoke with him at a clinic. Uh, it was a bunch of, it was probably like six years back now. And uh, just got to talk to him a little bit, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, which was, he's, he's sharp, man. He's, 
Yeah, a lot of stories, that's for sure. You know, a lot of, a lot of insight. No doubt. So, Justice, what does it actually look like in the NFL? Because say you've got athletes of different caliber, right? So you've got some superstar guys and you've got some normal guys and then you've got training squad guys. Do you have to train all of them or do some of them get to pick what they do or not? And some of them have their own guys. Like, what does it actually look like for you? Yeah, so for us, um, in my time there, and I'm sure the teams do it all different, I really only know what I did there because, uh, like I said, I've, I've, I've worked for one person in strength conditioning for eight months. That's all I've ever worked for. A lot of this, <laughs> I, I've done it myself and I've done it my own way. So, you know, um, the way I trained the guys was very team-oriented most of the time. It was individual to the players, uh, but at the same time, um, you know, when a guy comes in and, uh, you know, Mike's probably worked with more some of the guys that I've had to be more specialty with, um, you know, like a Quincy or whatnot. And uh, Quincy was a big one because he, you know, was such a big guy and so powerful, but you also had to kind of like modify him to make him be at maximum performance because heavier wasn't better for him. Mm -hmm. um, but each guy has, you know, you have to really be, I'll say this, in college, it was, in college, I kind of like, more or less made guys do what I thought they should do. Where in professional football, I want them to do this, but if they can't do that, or we have a major body limitation, like your body can't do that. And if we do that, it's only going to be a negative. There's no positive for me forcing this guy to do a squat. Okay. And I love squat. Don't get me wrong, but this guy doesn't need to be doing squat. He doesn't know how to squat. He's inefficient at it. Can I work at it? Sure, but I don't need to put a bar on his back in the middle of the season or preseason. It's not college where I have that 12-week, you know, I have a 12-week program, then I have spring ball, then I have another 10-week program. Like, that's a lot of training and a lot of time with the same player. We, I don't get that. You know, I had nine weeks in a typical offseason this year. I, I mean, the, the guys still don't know what they're, what they're doing. You know, they start, I think, in next week, and they don't know if they're going to be there or not. So, um you know, kind of going back to the last thing, everything I did in the offseason should lead to the in-season. I don't want to do anything in the offseason that doesn't translate to the in-season because I don't have time to coach them in training camp, you know. The day they show up, we're playing football. Everything is about football. So to answer your question in a long-winded way is, you know, each guy has a specific um, set of exercises they're going to do. And it's from the same family, but it's not necessarily always going to be the same exercise. This guy might do a uh, box squat. This guy might do a uh, pit shark or a belt squat. This guy might do a kettlebell uh, goblet squat. This guy might be doing a leg press. So I have my bilateral stuff that I like to do. And then, you know, on my uh, unilateral day, I actually had more problems with unilateral days than I did with a bilateral lower body day. Um, a lot of guys struggle. I, I like to do a lot of Bulgarian split squat stuff. Um, kettle, whether it's uh, goblet, suitcase, um, double suitcase, anything like that. Uh, a lot of guys obviously have knee problems, right? So patella stuff. And uh, so a lot of that was being modified, whether it was height or the load. A lot of times I will take the load off first. I, I don't want to reinforce a bad, you know, a bad pattern by loading it. So uh, usually a lot of times I'd have to take the load off that or I'd have to modify into just a split squat lunge or some of the, uh, you know, like an assisted lunge with your hands on something. Um, I'd use a, actually some of the big guys. I had a I had a really big guy last year that couldn't was couldn't do a lunge. He couldn't do a squat, and uh, really good player, big guy. 
I had to use bands from the top of the racks to, to help him lower into an efficient position because my whole thing was be making him become more functional. That's a rough word sometimes, I know, but I had to make him functional. He has to be able to bend because if he goes down on the ground and he gets in this, he, he was good enough on the field. I don't, he's strong enough on the field. How can I make him a better functional player to prevent injury was my main goal for that player. Um, so modifying everybody in that way. And then some of it, you know, also goes to the position. So if I had the quarterbacks in there um, or the kickers, you know, I'm doing some different stuff with them or our skill guys. Um, a lot of times I, I, I would kind of lump our skill guys together. Sometimes defensive backs and receivers have some different things. Um, it's kind of funny because I both are opposite of what we think, right? I would have the receivers do some more backwards stuff, backwards run, and I would have the uh, – defensive guys kind of do some more straight ahead stuff to offset what they typically do, you know, cause you start looking at the monitoring and the, the defensive backs really never get into these top speeds that the receivers do, but their yardages are more than the receivers. So, you know, a lot of that time they're spending a backpedal shuffle, some type of open and a sub maximal speed. So we have to kind of, you know, our goal is to kind of offset that and get, and get some things going that way. Um, and then obviously with the quarterbacks and kickers, like I said, more rotational stuff, more um, a lot of body work stuff, especially with some of the quarterbacks. Um, you know, the quarterbacks over the years get really loaded up on one side. And I always try to do like an offset or a – we got into last year a lot with Mike White, one of the um, backup quarterbacks of doing a good warm-up, kind of more like a pitcher warm-up, uh, just some like med ball stuff, some chops, um, some single leg throws with me. Um, so – Again, a long-winded way, I try to do as much specific to each player. The better I know the player, the better I know either he doesn't like it, so I'm not getting a ton of value out of it, and I don't want that to sound like, well, because he doesn't like it, I'm not doing it. If he doesn't like the exercise or causes pain, he's not going to do it very well, and I'm not going to get any type of result. So I'd rather change my plan than try to force him to fit into what I want him to do because at the end of the day in the NFL, I had one player – one player with the Jets for eight years, that's the longest player I had. There's a handful of other guys that may be in the five range, but a lot of guys are one to two years. And in the one, one you know, the one to two years, I, I mean, last year, for example, like some of those guys, I only saw them in season. We didn't get to do any training. So they show up. I have to kind of mold to what they're doing. Um, nobody has done any other program in our, in our room, um, you know, as far as a strength program. If a guy had a maybe some rehab stuff from uh, someone he worked with, you know, if it, I'll give you an example, and this is straight up honest. And I would say this, I think Mike knows this. I would say this if I wasn't on here to someone else is that if Mike had sent something for one of the guys he worked with, they could do it in our room because that's how I feel about Mike. We've also talked at length, like it's no different than me. Like there's bad strength coaches and there's bad, um, you know, on the private sector of strength coaches, there's bad ones too. So, I always kind of go, if I if there's a guy that I communicate with really well and their, their guy brings something, hey, yeah, let's do that. Or if I don't know their guy and I, you know, having to reach out to him and he's going to kind of tell me what why you're doing this or what the goal is, great. Because I don't know everything. And that's, again, like, you know, again, I'm thankful Mike said that when, when he opened us up. But, like, I'm open to learning. I don't think I know everything. If I can steal what Mike's doing with the guys he's trained with for me, like, okay, I'm going to put that in with these guys. And it's probably going to seep into the rest of the training, like, when I go over there and, you know, watch him train guys, like, yeah, we, we're going to steal stuff from him. Uh, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's a, you know, a high compliment, right? Um, so, you know, each player has their specific um, goals we need to do with them. 
I will say this too. And this year in COVID was the hardest to do that. Um, the league limited, I think it was like five or six games in, they limited me to 10 guys in the room yeah. and one coach, one coach per 10 guys. Now, you know, I, I, you know, I've coached 30 guys in a room by myself before. Right. And it's, but that's not very specific to each player. So, you know, to answer your question a little bit deeper was this year was very hard to do that because I was also, your room was limited. So you, you couldn't just bring them in whatever you wanted. There was NFL had cameras on us watching everything we did for close contacts. I had the watch on um, that said I was too close to this guy and it would start beeping. So this year was a really, it was a bread and butter program. I did what I thought was the most important things we could do. It was usually 20 guys split split up in some capacity, right? So, excuse me, 30. So 10 in the field house, 10 maybe in our rack area, and then 10 in another dumbbell cable area. So we kind of cycled them through that way. And it, it had to be very time, you know, on a very strict time clock. So this was a, a very challenging year. Um, but, you know, I go back and I look at it. I don't think I could have done it any other way, especially with the weather up here. You know, there's teams in – California or down in Arizona. I'm sure Buddy, I haven't, I had never, I didn't talk to him about what he did this year, but you know, they had space outside. They can go outside. Jersey weather doesn't allow that, you know, and end of September it's raining and you might get some snow spit on you. And, you know, we don't have that. We don't have that luxury of space. Um, you know, I know we have a lot more than other people had, but that was the NFL had so many restrictions it made it a little bit more difficult to be specific to each player. Who was the most physically impressive player you've ever coached? Well, I would say Quincy's one of them right there. Uh, you work with Quincy. I mean, he's he was a specially gifted 240-pound receiver at times uh, that could that could jump. He could he could move weights. Uh, he could run. Um, but I mean, physically, I mean, he's one of them. Uh, Antonio Cromartie. Yeah, he was a freak. I mean, he could do just about anything you could imagine. Um, I mean, Crow really stands out to me. I mean, B. Marsh was impressive. I know you worked with Brandon B. Marsh, too. I, I worked with Cromartie briefly as well. Did you? Yeah, and, and Cushing, Cushing told us, this was back at DeFranco's, Cushing said that when he has a ball in his hand, he's, at the time, he was the best player in the NFL. I think it was Cushing that told us that. And it, it, he's, and I watched Cromartie. Say, hey, what's what's that vert record? He said 44 inches. He goes, 44? All right, set it. And go 44 and a half. Yeah. Like, he's a, and he's a competitor. That's him yeah. too. Straight competitor. And I worked with him in two different – I think he went to Buddy for – he was in Arizona for a minute, for a year, I think. And they came back to us. Um, highly competitive, highly athletic. He, I think he has 109-yard either – He'll go return for a touchdown or yeah. or something crazy. He's but he was a freak. Yeah, he was a freak. Um, and Q was a freak. Uh, Makai Becton, who's there now, he's a he was a first round draft pick for the Jets last year. He's six foot nine, three hundred and eighty pounds. He's a freak, you know. Um, you see some, yeah. I mean, you see some of these guys come in there. And just, I mean, they're special. They're gifted, you know. Um, Jamal Adams, another freak. Um, he's up with Seattle now. Um, but, I mean, the guy that really stands out was, was Crow. And Kyle Wilson's another one. He's a Jersey cat. He's from um, – where's he from? Kyle played uh, – he went to Boise State, and then he, he played for the Jets for a couple years. Wow, he's 
he's from around, I can't think of the high school he's from, but Kyle Wilson was another freak. Um, try to, where did he go to high school? He's Jersey. Um, I'll look that up. Yeah, look him up. He, he was he was a good one, too. He was a first-round pick by the Jets, uh, maybe in, like, or second round, maybe somewhere in there. But, yeah, I mean, you see some cats come in here, and they're just special. They It's – Piscataway. There you go. Yeah, I know he's a local guy. I think he's around here still. But, you know, I, I think there's so many guys. I also get jaded after you're there for so long. Yeah. So many of them coming in, and you're like – you know, there's there's a guy, there's actually a guy right now. His name's Anthony Wynn. I think he fights this weekend. He's doing MMA. I think he's got a second fight. Played at FIU. He was a linebacker with us. P squad. I mean, you look at this dude. You're like, oh my god. He just he looked like a Greek god. He's just Jack. So then fast forward. Now he's fighting. He's, he's got a fight. I think Saturday. Um, you know, he won his first fight. But some you're just around these guys, and you're like, man, you don't realize what I'm standing in because I. You know, I, I look at pictures as some of the guys that, you know, I, I, there's like a picture on the sideline or something. I see myself. I'm like, man, I am tiny. These dudes. Are yeah. We had the last year, last year we had two brothers. They're the Kufusi brothers. They both played at BYU. Um, one, uh, Bronson's with, uh, he went to the Packers after the year. And then his brother Corbin is with the uh, Seahawks now. Seahawks, I think. Or the Niners, sorry. These guys are both the one's six nine, like two seventy. The other one's six foot eleven, uh, like three thirty, offensive line. <clears throat> and they're they're ridiculous. But they were the first guys in the weight room every day. They were like the best. They're like the best you could ever ask for in the NFL. Um, but there's just some freaks that you come across every day. And I don't think I, you know. Sometimes when you look like now for me, it is a time of reflection. You look at it and like, and there's some awesome players that have come through and I've got to work with, you know, like a Darrell Revis, a David Harris, Nick Mangles, the Brickishaw Ferguson. Like there's some dudes that you just work with and you just, not that you take it for granted because every day when I pull in, you know, when I pulled in there, you're like, this is pretty cool. You know, I'm going to enjoy this as long as I can, but the freak, the freaks of nature that, you know, you see every day and, and people are amazed by, but the most interesting part of it too, right. As you break it down and as a fan, Growing up, I'm a huge NFL fan growing up uh, in the Buffalo area. You know, you put these guys up here and you're like, they're kind of invincible. But being in that building, you realize they're just, you know, they're people, man. And, you know, mm -hmm. we see it all the time, right? And it, you don't ever think of that. Like, you see guys getting shuffled around and all this. You're like, man, that, that guy's a human. Like, of course that takes a toll on them. And, like, they get – you get paid well. Don't get me wrong. But when you're also you, – you guys know, too, like, the way their body feels after game – that money's worth it. That money's worth it. And these, some of these guys that play into their, their 30s, like, they, that money is deserved. You know, if you want to watch this sport, like, they need that money, you know. So, um, you know, there's been a lot of, lot of interesting players over the years. And, um, you know, there's, there's so many good stories and there's some sad stories, too, that, you know, that you see out there. Um, you know, guys I've worked with that just, you know, things went the wrong way for them. And it's – you see that whole big picture of a, of a professional athlete sometimes, and it's just human. And, you know, we always hold them on a different pedestal, but they're the same as everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I, I think now the most physically intimidating person I think I've ever worked with was Linville Joseph. Have it, Oh, I remember him. Yeah, Bro. He's he was, he, every bit, every bit of six foot four, six foot five, right? Like he's a mass, but 350 pounds. And like mean, right? Like a big, 
bald, fucking mean. I had him going through Aldoa stretches and he's sweating. He's looking at me. He's like, the fuck is this? I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, man. <laughs> but, but be Marshall. When, so I worked with Quincy. Quincy ran a 1-4-10, right? Like a legit, fully electric 1-4-10. It's incredible. I've never seen anyone do that. That kid is light, best 10 I've ever seen. I've, and we, I've worked with someone that uh, ran a, a 4-1-9, right? Like a, and hand time 4-1-9, but multiple scouts had him at 4-1-9, and they said, you know what, fuck this. I'm not reporting the 4-1, 4-2-2. You know, so Quincy is the most explosive 10 I've ever seen. And he's a physically big, impressive, like carved out of stone. And I had worked with him for two or three years at this point, And then B Marshall came in and I don't, I don't know anything. Like I'm, I'm a dunce. I, I didn't really know much about B Marshall, like what he looked like, anything. And when this dude came in, I'm like, whole, and I started working on him. I felt his calves. They're fucking rock like it's it's incredible he was and then he was in his he was in his receiver position one time and i was i was correcting his form uh his mechanics coming out i said hey you don't want to lean too far forward because of this and that uh the the you know whoever's guarding you is going to come over the top he goes well I actually count on that go ahead and do that so it's like a setup that he does he crouches down real low and waits for someone to slam him on top and because this guy's i've never worked with a receiver like him because he's so fucking huge, someone comes over the top and he just jacks you up. This motherfucker lifted me up by my shirt and I was like, oh, oh no. Like, I, <laughs> I don't want this man's hands on me. Like he was, he was quite possibly one of the most impressive physically gifted humans I've, and not like lightning fast, but holy shit, like in awe looking at this man. He was, he was bigger than my DNs. And he, I mean, he's, he's so wide, right? Oh, he got that cut. And he's like, just, I mean, in the way he talks and it, you know, I still talk to B. Marsh to this day, like the way he talks and he's so confident and he will, he'll set you, you're right. He'll, he'll like set you up on anything. You'll, see what you'll say, you know, and you're like, I got to protect myself a little bit here. You know, and he's into fitness, he's got his own place down there. And, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's still doing, he's on TV still. Right. And he's, yeah. You know, I re, you know, I reach out to him and he gets right back to me. He's, uh, um, he's, he's, he's so, I remember we played the year before he came to us, we played the bears. It was like a Thursday or Monday night game. And he would line up on our sideline. I just remember like looking at him like, well, that's an NFL receiver right there. <laughs> you know, that's a big dude. And then the next year we got him and he had a career year. And, um, Matt Forte, Matt Forte was with us for two years too. He, he was impressive and he was on the back end of his career, but, He's another guy that was physically impressed. You know, he, he was impressive to see just where he was at that late in his career, how he took care of himself, you know. B. Yeah. Marsh, B. Marsh is one of a kind. He's, he's awesome. McCordy was telling me, I think it might have been his rookie year or his second year, he had to cover B. Marshall. McCordy's 195 pounds. And he's, he's you know, an undersized guy coming out of, coming out of Rutgers having to guard B. Marshall. And... They're doing man. And he's like, dude, there's no way I'm lining up against this guy. But, you know, the first couple of plays, like B. Marshall kind of like juked him a little bit. Like he just like played possum. And McCoy's like, yeah, I got this. I got this. And then out of nowhere, he said Marshall came with like a left, a right, and just fucking pummeled him and slammed him into the ground and started giggling to catch the ball. <laughs> so McCoy's like, I, I, 
Yo, someone cover this man. I'm not covering this guy. Like he, he said he was so physical and would just physically abuse you. I mean, he figured out how to cover him, but was was just he'd never played against someone like that before. And I, I mean, he was, he was nasty on the field. He was just nasty. When he <laughs> yeah. played, he was just nasty. You know, I mean, I'm not going to – I'll tell you the honest. We were scared of him as a strength staff. When, on game day, I mean, we would – I mean, Joe Jacoby, who actually played with McCordy at Rutgers, who was with me with, with the Jets, uh, he, he was, you know – he was in charge of like trying to get B Marsh back during the game or, you know, Aaron McLaurin was with me. trying to pull him out of the white, you know, and he, he like swat your hand down. Like, it's kind of smooth back, buddy, you know, and you know, like he just was nasty on game day. I, I didn't, I told him that uh, he came back for a visit. I guess that was last year. And he, dude, you're just nasty to people on game day, man. Hold <laughs> the mentality. I'm like, I get it. I get it. I was just trying to get you out of the white, man. I'm not trying to get, I'm not trying to get a penalty, you know? He was, a, he was an impressive cat, man. He was impressive. And so to, to bring it back to McCordy now, I mean, we're talking a guy in year 12. And I, we looked at his stats. He's missed five games in 12 years. Amazing. Five games in 12 years. And a rolled ankle, uh, like some separated shoulder, like nothing, no soft tissue. Like this guy, he's like fucking Wolverine. And every year... He's in the top five fastest guys for like the past, I don't know, past five, six years. He's been, since they've been doing the metrics, he gets an interception and he's one of the top five fastest guys in the league every year. It's in, He's incredible. Now, that guy, he's not like, I don't know. Like, you don't look at him and be like, yo, that guy's in the NFL. But uh, he he's just, he just produces. He's, he's fucking cool. What's it? I, when you're coaching against these guys and you see them on the field doing doing what they do, like are you ever are you ever in awe like these these guys are just not fucking human? Yeah, I mean, you know, unfortunately, like last year, like being on a, a two and fourteen team, it was you know, and you're watching some of these guys and you're just like, man, they they got some, you know, you are impressed by what these guys can do. And like McCordy, I don't know him at all, either of them, but you're like. Some of them, when I look at them in that era of Rutgers football, like how important it was to them. And I just, you know, I wonder what his daily routine is and how he does things. And you know, I feel like sometimes his mental skills might be, you know, better than his physical skills as you get older, right? And so he can play faster and he can, you know, anticipate things. But yeah, every time you're on the field and you see that speed, I remember the first time I ever was on an NFL field. I went from, you know, Nothing. I love FCS football, one double A, but it's not NFL. And you step out there and you're watching these guys run, and you're like, <laughs> "Whoa!" And every guy is, you know, this the guy who you're like, "Oh, he's small. They're bigger than me," you know. And I'm, you know, and you're like, "I'm small." Like the receiver who's five ten and you know flying around. That's that's the guy. You know that that guy's not small. You know he's a normal sized human being. But you know, I think. <laughs> You, you get out there and you see these guys and you're in awe because I, I, I do I love the game of football. I, I am a I am a fan of football. I love football as much as I love strength conditioning. They're like 1A and 1B to me. Um, and that's why, you know, this is it's an important role that I play with the teams. But, uh, you know, when you watch them, and you're, they're so efficient. They're so effortless with their mechanics and their moves of how they play the game. You know, that's what you always go back to, right, as a strength coach is like, they have to be able to do that 
before anything else matters. Like if, if there's guys, you know, that don't squat 700 pounds on the defensive line, they squat 405, but they can open their hips and move their hands and their hand-eye, you know, their hand-eye coordination. What does the weight room number mean, right? We want to get them as good as they can, but sometimes what happens and, and you know, I'm kind of going off a little bit of the question, but, you know, as far as like a lot of times, whether it was, you know, a college and there's court, there's coaches and stuff like that or pro where they want, hey, my guys all got to squat 600 pounds. Why? Like yeah. if they're a good player, it doesn't matter. I understand, like, we want them to be as strong as they can. I'm fully on board with that. But if they can't do their skill well, what's it matter? If we don't get guys who care about the game, this doesn't matter. We, we need to get that part right first, right, because this is their skill. This is the job they're doing, you know, and how can we develop them that way? So I guess for me, like, when I watch those guys on the field and you see them play with great passion and great effort and, you know, um, you're just like, Man, I, I am in awe of that. I'm in awe of their their dedication to their craft, their body, you know, the way they live their life. Um, they're not along for the ride. They're really in this to win it. And, you know, I think, you know, some of those guys in Tampa last year, you know, whether it's Tom Brady or Gronkowski or, you know, um, Steve McClendon, who was with us with the Jets, and he, he went down there and won a Super Bowl with Todd, was, you know, Steve McClendon, he, he was 30 – I don't want to do him but dirty, but he's like 35 now. He was with the Steelers, came to the Jets. We traded him to the uh, Bucks. But that dude is like you know, 15% body fat. He's a nose tackle. He's like 320. And his dedication to his craft, that's like, that's how he lives his life. He's not about all the other stuff. He never was. It was always about football. He's it was undrafted. He had been cut a bunch of times. Um, you know, and that's where, uh, you know, you start to look at these guys and you're like, man, that's, that's the way it should be done. And that's the way you try to tell like younger guys, Hey, look at that guy. Like as talented as he is, he puts the time in and he, he does what he says. He doesn't just say it in the media. He does it every day. And he, 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 you know, he does what you're supposed to do as a professional football player, study your tape. You know, they don't, it's funny in today's day and age, we talk about technology in the weight room before. Well, technology in the, in the football world is they can see how much film you're watching. So like you could say you're watching all the film you want, but if you don't click your iPad on, you have five minutes of film for the week. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And that's, those are things you see. You're like, you didn't even care enough to open the iPad and just press play. Just let it run. You could have done that if you don't want to study, like at least show you care. Um, you know, so that's where you see like McCordy and you go back to it and you say, man, he probably watches so much film that when that, that receiver takes that one head knob or step, he knows what's going to happen. Talking to Hogan, you know, we had Hogan for uh, um, like half the season this year. And, you know, he's a guy that, like, when he watches tape, he'll tell you what he's seeing. And he, he'll tell you about each player that we're going to play. And that's the type of thing where, you know, with Hogan, like, he lives it. He, he, he breathes the sport. He, you know, he, you know, he loves working out. You know, he's in the weight room playing Bruce Springsteen on Saturday morning at 7 a.m. in our weight room. I just give him the iPad and, like, Go ahead. That's see. That's one day when, when he walked in, I'm like, just you do your arm, do whatever you want to do. He's doing like cores and core and arms on before games, but <laughs> you know, he lived the game. That was it was so important to him to be smarter than the other player, right? Um, and he worked his butt off in the weight room, on the field. He practiced hard. He played hard. Those are the type of guys I love to see. You know, those are the guys that you want to see. Um, 
do well and play for a long time. And those are the guys I'm really in awe of because, you know, being a professional athlete is hard. It, it's hard. And especially in the, you know, this tri-state area and the New York area market, like that's a hard thing to shut it down and just go do your job. You know, if you're in some different markets, it's still hard, but there's not as many temptations. So, you know, you see guys around here and they, they can shut it down and go to bed and, and, you know, focus on their craft. That's impressive to me. Justice, we've kept you on now way longer than, than I had anticipated. I, I don't want to take up too much of your time with this, but we definitely want to have you back. What do you, is there anything you want to close off saying? Anything that, any, anything that we didn't cover that, you, that you'd like to go over? No, I mean, I mean, I could go on for hours if you want, but I mean, I'd love to be back on. Um, no, I appreciate you guys having me on here. Um, you know, just, you know, guys out there and, uh, you know, coming up in whatever profession you're coming in in fitness, if you want to be a strength coach or, you know, uh, in, at the professional level, college, in the private sector, you know, just make sure you continue to educate yourself and get out and network. And yeah. this is something I truly do believe in. And, you know, again, I go back because, Mike, when you said that in the beginning, it does mean a lot to me. It's, it's, it's nice to be important. It's more important to be nice. So you never know who down the line is going to affect your, your career path or your life. So, you know, to young guys out there listening to this or girl, you know, women, like, make sure everybody that comes in, you treat them genuinely. And just like we tell our daughter, like, if you're not listening, that means you don't care. So listen to people, listen to what they have to say. Don't just listen to yourself, um, you know, and I, I would love to come back on here with you guys. I appreciate you guys having me on here. It's been awesome. The time flew by. I didn't realize how much time we've been on, but. <laughs> Justice, for your first podcast, man, you smashed that one. Thanks, man. I you did fantastic. It. I appreciate it. No, you guys keep doing your thing. I love, uh, like I said, I'm trying to get caught up on everything, but uh, you guys are doing an awesome job reaching out to some, some different areas, and uh, I've enjoyed listening to you guys. So thanks for having me on. Appreciate you, man. Stay on the line. I'm going to close you, it off. Right.